0: One of the greatest signs in the entire history of the world proving the validity of the Bible is the fact that the Jews now have a nation again within the historic land of Israel since 1948. So now the remaining prophecies in the Bible in which God promised to restore the kingdom to Israel are bound to follow at the appointed time. We have good news for the last days that Jesus will be returning very soon to take up his residency as King Messiah in Jerusalem. And the rather distressing news is that the day of trouble for the world is near. Yet nobody should be taken by surprise because future events have all been written in advance in this book. And the promise of deliverance is guaranteed for all who call upon the name of the Lord. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. It's great to be able to keep in touch in this digital world. And when you download our free Jerusalem Channel app to your mobile phone or tablet, you'll be the first to see all our new video teachings. You can also explore our bookshop and read the Bible. And you can help to support the channel through our donation page. So look for Jerusalem Channel in the Apple or Google store and start to share in the good news of the gospel. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Yo, matanai, the day of the Lord is near, according to the Bible prophets. When most scholars use the phrase, the day of the Lord, They're referring to the end of this present age when Jesus will return to bring in justice and righteousness to the world. He will put down evil and lawlessness. Now, the Day of the Lord references are found in both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament. An example is Acts 2.20, which states, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord. And also the day of the Lord appears many times in the Hebrew Bible. For example, in Joel one fifteen, For the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. And Joel 2.11. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. One of my favorites is Obadiah 1.15 saying for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations and as you have done it shall be done to you your reprisal shall return unto your own head this verse teaches that all the enemies of Israel will suffer just retribution meaning with the fate they had inflicted on others at the day of the Lord, the Almighty will reveal His majesty and omnipotence in a glorious manner to overthrow all ungodly powers and to complete His kingdom being restored back to Israel. Furthermore, Malachi 4:5 declares, God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And that's why a place is reserved for Elijah at every Passover Seder. Now, Bible scholars say there will be a beginning point of the day of the Lord, which will be the snatching away of the completed church, the fullness of the Gentiles, when the body of Messiah is translated to heaven, marking the closing of the church age. Then will follow a time of tribulation upon the earth that's divided into two time periods of three and a half years each, totaling seven years altogether, and that's according to the book of daniel in the hebrew bible and the book of revelation in the new testament the first will be a time of tribulation in the second part three and a half years will be a time of great tribulation the rise of the so-called anti-messiah and his false prophet are described in the book of revelation and in the midst of these terrible times israel will finally be redeemed No doubt the day of the Lord will certainly be a day of trouble for the world. But the good news of the gospel is that we can call upon the Lord in the day of trouble. Let's look at Psalm 50 and verse 15. I grew up with this verse because my grandmother had made an embroidery of it and the cross-stitch artwork hung over a desk in my parents' living room. And as I was growing up, from time to time I would gaze at that verse And it had an impact on my life. That's why it's so important that we have Bible verses on our walls in our homes. Actually, starting with verse 14, Psalm 50 says, Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And then follows verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. The commentaries say the meaning is, when you offer true worship to God, then you can call upon Him in the day of trouble, and He will assuredly deliver you, and so you will have great occasion to glorify God. But even if you don't live in the time of great tribulation, nevertheless, the day of trouble comes sooner or later to everybody. Our lives are full of spiritual warfare. In this world, we have to endure all sorts of trouble, business hassles, dishonest people, domestic trouble, a sick child or a sick spouse or an aged parent, a wayward son or daughter, religious persecution. There's just a thousand and one troubles you can fill in the blank of whatever you're going through. You might be in the fiery furnace right now, but God says he has a divine cure for the day of trouble. We're to worship him and then call upon him. He's always at home. He's always available. In fact, it's considered a local call to call God in Jerusalem. But actually, we know that he's omnipresent in the world, and he's available 24-7. After we render true worship and call upon him, his gracious promise is, I will deliver you. And the wonderful result is that we will glorify him with our praise and gratitude. So the scripture makes it clear that if you love God, we can come to him in times of trouble, in humility, sincerity, and confidence. And he promises to deliver us in the way that he sees best and by the means that he chooses and at the time that he sees best. Now, in this word, we're given exceedingly great and precious promises. Yet our spiritual warfare involves real heartache and real troubles from time to time. Didn't our Lord say in this world, you're going to have tribulation? But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so our troubles teach us to call upon God without murmuring and complaining. As believers, we must always take good care of our faith and make it grow because faith is how we obtain God's blessings. Prayer alone simply can't call down answers from heaven. But it is believing prayer, not the prayer of unbelief, but believing prayer that brings definite answers. A scripture I've always clung to during times of perplexity is Romans 8, 28, written by the Apostle Paul. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Paul didn't say, and we know that a few things work together for good. No, he said all things, and all means all. So amazingly, all things are working together right now for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, fulfilling his purposes. It's a present tense ongoing operation that God is causing all things to work together for our good. Also, Psalm 138:7 promises that though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. The Hebrew rendering is even though I walk in the center of trouble, you will revive me. With such a wonderful promise that we'll be rescued in the midst of trouble, let's refuse to give up. When we're in the very center of trouble, God works all things together for good. and We have to fortify our faith because the scriptures warned us that the prophesied end times will be full of moral depravity and peril. Paul predicted in 2 Timothy 3, understand this he said that in the last days perilous times shall come and i learned this this week it's so interesting the only other place in the new testament that we find this word that's translated perilous is in matthew 8:28 where the greek word is translated also as violent describing a demon-crazed man who lived amongst the tombs whom Jesus healed. So with these two New Testament references, translated as perilous and extremely violent, we understand that the end of days will be full of violence and terrorism. But we're not to fear. God will give us grace to navigate through the times, and he will calm our storms as we watch for the blessed hope of his soon appearing. Meanwhile, The great day of the Lord is rapidly approaching, and the apostle Peter wrote that the elements will all be burned with fervent heat, as it is written. Let's look in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter said, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a horrific roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth And every deed on it will be laid bare. So then Peter said, seeing that all these things are going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Amen. So now when speaking of this topic of the day of trouble, eschatologists, That's those who study the end times in the Bible. The eschatologists are going to be drawn to the subject of the time of Jacob's trouble. That's mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. This time period concerns Israel and the Jewish people. So let's look at that verse. It says, alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Hallelujah. Now, in Matthew 24, as we rightly divide the word of God, Jesus forewarned his nation, Israel, that there will be not just tribulation, but great tribulation. And prophetically, the Bible has another name for it. We've just read it. The time of Jacob's trouble the last week of Bible prophecy concerning the nation Israel, the last seven years in Bible code terminology. It will be the last seven years before Jesus returns. Both Daniel the prophet and the book of Revelation identified this period as a seven-year period. And the second half will be the worst, 42 months, the most difficult time. And if you're on earth at that time, how will you know that you're actually in the great tribulation period? the time of Jacob's trouble? Well, the indicator will be Matthew 24 in verse 15. In that verse, Jesus said, it will be when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. It'll be when that desecrating event happens in the rebuilt temple. Then, he said, you'll know that you're in the tribulation. Because Matthew 24, 21 adds, for then there will be great tribulation, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. So now I want to ask, why is this time of unprecedented trouble named after Jacob, who was the grandson of Abraham? Well, if you recall in the book of Genesis, Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. And there's a reason. Before he was transformed into a man of God, at first Jacob was, by disposition, a cheat and a deceiver. In fact, the name Jacob means supplanter, and he supplanted his older brother Esau. Now, here's an important Bible principle. As I mentioned already, 2 Timothy 2.15 admonishes us to rightly divide this word of truth. In other words, we have to rightly dissect this word of truth. So we have to learn that whenever in the Bible Israel is called Jacob, it is nearly always a picture of backsliding Israel. But when Jacob is called Israel, he's walking straight. He's in right standing with God Almighty. I once heard a rabbi speaking on one of the derivations of the name Israel as partly meaning to walk straight and uprightly, whereas Jacob means supplanter, which is often interpreted as someone who seizes, who circumvents, or usurps. And in the future, when the nation of Israel enters into the seven-year tribulation period, the period referred to in the Bible as Jacob's trouble, It will be due to their backslidden spiritual condition. You see, some people erroneously teach that the church will still be around to go through the tribulation. But the church doesn't go through Jacob's trouble, or that would be replacement theology. The time of Jacob's trouble belongs to Israel for the purpose that God is going to corner Israel and bring Israel back to himself. Jeremiah chapter 30 not only predicted the time of Jacob's trouble, but also predicted the regathering of Israel first in an unregenerate condition. Verse 3 of Jeremiah 30 says, For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. But spiritually speaking, the nation for the most part will still be behaving like Jacob. They'll be dwelling in the land in an unrepentant state. Many will be secular and disregarding God's commandments. But during this last day of trouble for Israel, God will save them in it. Listen to Jeremiah 37 through 9. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And then it says, They shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. And David here is a Bible idiom for their Messiah, whom God says, I will raise up unto them. So in the future, national Jacob must go through a metamorphosis to become redeemed national Israel. The nation must return from their backslidden state, having wandered in the nations for 2,000 years, and they will return entirely unto God. It will be a process. In the book of Revelation, God calls the capital of Jerusalem at that time, Sodom and Egypt. And why? Because even Jerusalem is imbibing of the sins of Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is very proudly touting itself as one of the sin capitals of Asia. But the God of Israel didn't bring the Jewish people back to the land to glory in sin. So God is saying that if they tolerate the sins of Sodom and Egypt, they must go through repentance. And when the anti Messiah's abomination desecrates the rebuilt temple, then those Israelis living in Judea are warned to flee. To Petra in the wilderness. And all this I've written about in my latest book, Appointment in Petra. But the repentant nation will find the Lord. And then the final regathering of the Jewish people from the four corners of the earth will take place as King Messiah Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, returns with his church to fight the battle of Armageddon. All of this is described in Revelation chapter 19. Here's the thing. At that time, Israel will no longer be backslidden Jacob, but will become a prince who has struggled with God and prevailed, which is the meaning of the name Israel. Because of the future deception of the anti-Messiah, tragically the time of Jacob's trouble, will be Israel's last major birth pain before the kingdom is birthed and return to them, and before their rightful relationship is restored with the Lord. In that day, Jacob will be transformed by God into righteous Israel. And the Apostle Paul foretold all this in Romans chapter 11. He said to the church at Rome, in that chapter, uh, Romans 11, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that a partial blindness has happened to Israel forever? No, until the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. Now listen carefully. Paul wrote, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from whom? It says from Jacob. So the Lord is going to return and turn Jacob away from his ungodliness and he will become righteous Israel. For this is my covenant unto them. The Lord says, when I shall take away their sins. Hallelujah. Well, this is absolutely marvelous to me. Notice that Paul refers to Israel in that day as Jacob, but Jacob is going to be turned away from unrighteousness. And so Paul in the New Testament envisioned his beloved brethren, the Jewish people, exactly as the prophet Jeremiah saw them, as Jacob. But the good news is that Jacob finally is transformed into Israel, the prince with God. This is prophetically thrilling. So now in light of the swiftly coming day of the Lord, what should be our outlook on life from day to day? The world, for the most part, says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But that saying is actually as old as the Bible itself. In the 8th century B.C., when Jerusalem was being threatened with destruction by the Assyrian army, the prophet Isaiah was grieving over Jerusalem. And at the critical moment when Jerusalem's defenses could be breached, the bulk of the population were not preparing, instead they were blissfully celebrating, even in their ignorance of imminent danger. And too many of our Western nations today are equally oblivious to the perils that could be awaiting a negligent people. Listen to Isaiah twenty-two thirteen. It says, In that day the Lord God of hosts shall call for weeping and mourning and for wearing of sackcloth, repentance. But what did they do instead? It says, they slaughtered sheep and drank wine, saying, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Like the ancient Israelites, will we face up to the reality of tomorrow's world, or will nations continue naively to go on like there's no tomorrow? Already the threat of invasion and siege was imminent, and God's city Jerusalem went about business as usual, trusting in their stone walls and weapons to protect them. But to the prophet Isaiah, their attitude was complete foolishness. The people should have been turning to God en masse as the sword hung over them. And this same mindset runs throughout history. Musicians on the Titanic, for example, kept calmly playing as a ship was sinking in the icy Atlantic. Survivors heard the orchestra play, Nearer My God to Thee which at least was a very appropriate choice for the disaster. Well, our history books are full of fatalism and it's a way of life in many contemporary societies. Inshallah, or so be it in Arabic, that's the mindset that we can have very little control over life In such a philosophy deceptively keeps people from taking personal responsibility. Today we keep hearing that we have somehow evolved from primordial soup and at death there's nothing more to look forward to than nirvana, nothingness. And if you believe that, congratulations, you've bought into a satanic lie. But the breakthrough moment will come when you decide to repent and turn your face back to seek God. And let's be clear that repenting isn't the same thing as just feeling remorse. We all can be sorry for something, but repenting goes a lot deeper. The Westminster Confession describes true repentance as when a sinner so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them completely unto God. You see, there's no sin so small but that it deserves damnation. But there's no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. And our Apostle Paul explained in Romans six twenty three, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Messiah our Lord. Think about this. Millions today are striving for power, fame, wealth and wanting to leave their mark on society, but the promise of eternal life and the assurance of being adopted into God's kingdom is certainly far greater than whatever fleeting and temporary worldly pleasures that we're chasing after could ever give us. Whatever we're able to achieve will only be a fleeting moment of time compared to eternity. And of course, I have to mention the most startling end time reference to eating and drinking is found in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. For they were eating and drinking and holding wedding feasts until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And Jesus added, it was the same in the days of Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham. Jesus said people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So my friends, we can delude ourselves, we can eat, drink and be merry, but the day of trouble is coming for this entire planet. With all my heart, I encourage you in these days of apostasy and deep deception to ask God to reveal to you the simple truth about the Lord Jesus. And God will be faithful to answer an honest inquiry. So seek the Lord while he may still be found. Call upon him in the day of trouble. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, he said, but by me. So listen to him and cling to him in faith. I also invite you to watch our free video library and to visit our website at exploits.tv where you'll find my weekly teaching blog. By the way, our ministry is called Exploits based upon Daniel 11.32, which declares the people who know their God will be strong and accomplish exploits. Now then, connect with me on social media, and don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app to watch our videos on your phones or tablets. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with you. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom.